Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello there. This is the voice of the Internet Technical Department. Due to a microphone malfunction, Tom will spend the first 10 minutes or so of this interview off mic. Don't worry, he fixes it. Stay with us and you'll be rewarded with stories of violence and love from the world of deathmatch wrestling. Thank you. Stay safe. Love you. Bye. on Cultaholic Island, making his maiden voyage to Cultaholic Island before he goes to the furthest island one could possibly imagine in Australia. Hello to Australia, if you're listening. Uh, joined by uh, Deathmatch Wrestling Superstar and North Wrestling Ultraviolet Champion, Clint Majera. Hello, Tom. A fellow lost West Midlander in the northeast. Correct. Very far from home. <laughs> this is nice. It's nice to meet with people again. Yeah. Wolverhampton boy. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you finding the transition from the West Midlands to the Northeast? Um, there's a lot more stuff to do up this way <laughs> because in Wolverhampton City Centre, the last time I went there, which wasn't that long ago, I've, every single shop was just derelict. Whereas now, I don't go uptown here and everything's kind of bustling and there's just a more of an atmosphere. So yeah, it's a big, big difference. Sacks, I lived in Wolves. In 20, from 2011 till 2013, mm-hmm. and uh, I used to work at a radio station inside the Manda Shopping Centre. And I think it's the last, it's just the state of society in general. Last time I went back, I was like, where's all the shops? Yeah, exactly. Where has, where has everything gone? And everything's just, there's just no vibe there or anything, I've just noticed. So, like, I'll, I'll get off the train, walk through town, and I'll be like, I'm not really missing anything not being here anymore, to be honest. What past is it? Is it Wolverhampton where we got the bus station that was uh, when, when when that's when that was built? That genuinely felt like a big deal. Hmm. When that, that bus station moved in, I was like, "Oh, we're getting there now." They've only just finished the train station. <laughs> Did you find that when you moved to the northeast, the friendliness threw you so, somewhat? A little bit, yeah. Mm. A little bit. Everyone's been very. Or everyone is very welcoming. Because they're all so chatty. Yeah. And, you assume, and, and I found the first couple of weeks I was here when someone was going, uh, oh, Arita, you do like that? I was like, keep up my wallet. Like, is this a <laughs> thing? And that's, uh, no, I'm not casting aspersions on, you know, I'm from, from Worcester, but I lived in Wolves for a while. But that's, that's kind of, that's what it's done to me. It does shock you a little bit, though, when someone that you've never met before is just very, oh, yeah, like kind of thing. You're a little bit like... Why would you want? <laughs> <laughs> and I was so excited when you got added to North. So I was like, yes, more representation up here. Mm, it's, 
it's been a while since I was since I was last there when before I came back properly. So it's been nice to come back and see everyone. And Bowers is awesome as always. So yeah, it's he's great good, to be there. He's a good egg, and we're going to talk about you taking on beyond the northeast, taking the world on. But to get us there, mm -hmm. I've asked you to bring three wrestling matches that you would watch while stranded on a desert island. Mm -hmm. Three matches, any promotion, any time, anywhere that you would happily watch over and over again. So we're going to go through them throughout our chat today. What would you like your first one to be, Kate? Uh Always my answer for my first ever wrestling experience, nearly 1992. Um, so WrestleMania 8, IC title match, Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper. So how old would you have been when you first saw this day? Uh, well, the, sh the show was on April the 5th, and my birthday is April the 15th, so by the time I watched it, I probably would have just gone seven. And I can s remember very vividly sitting down and watching that match. So where was it? Talk to us where you were. Wh who were you watching it with? Uh, I was definitely watching it with my brother, mm. and we couldn't afford to have Sky back then because I think it was probably about a £1,000 <laughs> equivalent. <laughs> Back in 92. Um, so our dad's friend had Sky and he would record the pay-per-views for us and we would just watch them on the VHS. Uh, so we were sat in the living room. I was probably sat on the floor, staring up at the TV, watching Bret Hart and Roddy Piper have this unbelievable match. And everything about it just stuck out to me and just made me think, I, I love this. This is the best thing in the world. From the pre-match promo that they did, where Roddy Piper was talking about Bret Hart's mom making him bologna sandwiches <laughs> and all this stuff, and like taking the mick out of him, trying to have a little bit of fun, and all the way through to the match with the bell and the crowd, and it kind of makes sense now because there was blood in the match as well. So I definitely remember that sticking out to me, and just the atmosphere and the story behind it was just just sucked me in straight away, and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. So how long did you think you'd been a wrestling fan when you first saw that match? I definitely remember, I, I, m I must have seen wrestling before that. There was definitely a point where I'd, I'd watched some wrestling before that. So, but I think that that is the thing that just made me think, yeah, I'm never gonna stop watching this. This is, this is it now. And uh, with wrestling, it's one of those things where when you watch it for the first time, you you either once you, once you kind of figure out the what the wire where the wires are, you either get sort of disheartened by the fact that oh, there's an element of performance to this, or it's a bit like being in the magic circle, I would mm -hmm. say, where you either go oh it's all that, or you go actually I want to know how they do that, I want to know how that is. Mm -hmm. When when was that spark first lit for you? Um, probably got to around like. 14, 15 years old, where we started doing stuff in like back gardens. Like we'd kind of like, me and my brother had wrestled each other at, at our mom and dad's house when we were watching the wrestling, mm. breaking beds and stuff and sofas and getting in trouble and doing suplexes off windowsills. So, but when it got to like us like messing around in back gardens and stuff and that's when it was kind of like, okay, I really want to like learn how to do this properly. Like I'd already learned by then that it was no, I hate the, the F word, mm. but I didn't care. Like, it didn't bother me. I wasn't, I, I didn't care that, that they knew who was winning or whatever. It was just the showmanship of everything. That's what sucked me into it. That's what made me want to stay. So 
yeah, probably about 15 is when I kind of was like, yeah, I want to know like properly like how things are put together and how this really, really works. What's the most expensive thing you broke wrestling at? Um, probably the bed. Probably <laughs> my mum's bed. Those slats did not last many suplexes <laughs> at all. Can you remember your mum finding you doing that? Um, yeah, she's walked in in various situations. They were, when once it went from beds to bringing mattresses downstairs while she was at work, and her walking into <laughs> hardcore matches like roses tin lids all over the place and Quality Street tin lids everywhere. They, were the best they sounded amazing. Matches. They sounded amazing. Honestly, I swear, and a whole generation don't appreciate this. No, nope. the sound of a Quality Street tin lid off the head. Wow. Yeah, it's class. We used to have these corrugated bit panels of plastic at like the second house we moved into, and it was meant to be like for a conservatory, but it never got built before. But so we would just drag these in and then just start power bombing each other onto them and stuff. If it broke, it broke. If it didn't, oh well. <laughs> so you were deathmatch wrestling before? Yeah. You really knew what it was. Yeah, from the moment I saw ECW, that's when in the that's when that kind of happened for me. But. So growing up in the West Midlands then, so wrestling obviously was a big passion of yours, but what else was going on for you around 15 years ago? Um, I was playing a lot of football. I was a big football fan. Uh, my uncle used to play for the Wolves uh, back in the day. So, Who's your uncle? Uh, Jerry O'Hara. Jerry O'Hara. He, uh, he was a Wolves player. Um, and yeah, I just, I really loved playing football. I loved it. But it just got to a point where we were like kids basically and like, they were talking about getting into scraps and stuff with the other team and like I was there to play football like I wanted to run, run down the wing like Beckham and you know cross balls in and score goals and I wanted to be there for like the the joy of it but I just kind of fell out of love with it basically because everybody else was wanting just yeah they just wanted to get into fights it's football <laughs> I mean I know there's fights in football but like you kids we kids like who cares let's just score nine goals and put your shirt over your head like Viali and <laughs> you know what I mean but yeah do you think that had there not been like that sort of environment there you might have pursued football a little more um, there are times where I think I would have carried on like I had uh, trials for Wolverhampton Town and everything and that was kind of as like as far as it went for me um, but I did really enjoy playing it but there was just this other part of me that I was just like oh my wrestling's really cool though isn't it <laughs> what stopped you getting on to, to Wolverhampton Town um, just fell out of love for, for playing football. Yeah. Um, I went for the trials. I didn't get picked, so I was a little bit dejected from that as well. Um, but at, by that point, I'd just kind of been like, mm, do I want to carry on doing this or do I want to just start something different, start something new, go down a different avenue? And uh, that's what I went with. <laughs> that's nice. it's, it's one of those. It's always interesting to see where the paths would uh, would divide. When it became to a point where you decided, well, actually, wrestling's going to be my thing, what was the reaction from your parents? And they've grown up watching you destroy conservatories, break <laughs> slats in beds. Like, what's the, what's the vibe when you... Did you ever broach that when you were younger, or was that a conversation much further down? Um, no, not really. I mean, my mum was always very aware of my love for wrestling. Um, like, when we would... On a Sunday, I'd get my pocket money and save it up and then go and buy VHSs and stuff from Asda and HMV and everything. So she was very aware of how much I really, really loved it. And once we started training and everything, she really 
saw that this is something that we both really wanted to do, me and my brother. So, um, yeah, she was pretty supportive, to be honest. She hasn't come to many, no. which kind of makes sense can based you know on... <laughs> Yes, I can actually, and I got thrown off the top of a ladder through a table to the outside right in front of her. Oh, I bet she was delighted. So that was the <laughs> first and last time that she came to watch me wrestle. <laughs> what was her, like, the, the vibe from her? What did she say when you finished that first match? Have you seen her backstage? Have you seen her coming out? She's watched you get thrown around, thrown off a ladder, through a table. Does, is, is she still as supportive as she was when she walked in? Uh, yeah, she's still supportive. She's just kind of looking at me as if to be like, I'm just, I'm just glad that you're okay, but what are you doing? What, what are you doing that for? And I was like, did you hear the crowd? <laughs> That's it. I'm okay. <laughs> was that, the, that was the adrenaline, wasn't it? Yeah. Hearing the crowd really get behind Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, been like, it's been like that from the very beginning, from the moment we did our first show. Um Hearing like the crowd reaction is one of the things that carries you through to the very end, which I'm sure every wrestler will say the same. But yeah, the adrenaline is just ridiculous. So we want to get into sort of your your how you got in training wise into it. But let's do your second match before we get there. Mm -hmm. So we've had uh, we've had the the WrestleMania eight match between Bret Hart and Roddy Piper. What was like your second one to be? Um, second, I'm going to go with. Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka. Ah, oh, there we go. From ECW Heatwave 98. The easily in the top five of any pay-per-view from any year, from any company, from any country. But that match is one that really stood out to me. These two have had bangers. Yeah. Right? And I'm curious to know what puts this one just slightly above the others. Um, For me... um. It was definitely, as far as I can remember, my first real introduction to these two wrestlers. And it was through this match where I learned about their feud from Japan from the FMW days and how long it had been going and how many times they wrestled each other. But this was definitely my introduction to those guys. And from the moment I saw Tanaka... I was like, this dude is my favourite <laughs> Japanese wrestler. His entrance music is so sick and so classically Japanese. And <laughs> and then you've got Mike Awesome, who is six foot six, doing shit in... Can I swear? Yeah, you okay. can swear. Doing, uh, doing shit that people that size and that, that weight class weren't even thinking about doing in 1998. Like jumping off the top rope to the outside, like springboards and stuff, and that match just blew me away. It's like, what, 12 minutes, I think, like bell to bell, and they just go balls to the wall, and it's unreal. Is there a moment in that match that you, in your time in the wrestling world, you've paid homage to? Absolutely. Yeah. I, the only reason I do a rolling elbow is because of Masai Tanaka. Um, I've done the Diamond Dust multiple times um he later on started doing the sliding elbow which i do in every single match um so yeah he's definitely a huge influence on me <laughs> when it comes to that side of wrestling um what led you down that path of doing more the death match because obviously as a kid you were doing that stuff anyway but when you got into training i i can't imagine that i that concept of a match was pushed onto you mm. uh yeah it's just just I just saw ECW and I was just like, "That's this is the kind, this is the style that I want to do." But I could see that they 
they weren't just jumping through a table for the sake of it. There was a reason behind it, and they were wrestling as well. It wasn't just picking up chairs and throwing them at each other. Like there was wrestling moves in between. So I always knew that was the style that I wanted to do, but I wanted to learn how to do the basics and the real stuff first, and then you learn how to pepper in and think, well, okay, well, how did I do that through a table? How could I use a chair to get to here? And so, yeah, it was just, um, it was always the, the thing that I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, it wasn't ever pushed on me. It was always my decision. This is what I want to do. And uh, the training just kind of brought it all together. Where did you go to get those basics? Uh, we we were training with the Hunter brothers. Nice, yeah. Who, They're legends in the yeah, West Mid, absolutely. Aren't they? Yeah, they are unbelievably talented <laughs> at what they do. They're so good. Um, How did you discover that they were doing training to start with? Um, we would go to like old, we would just go to shows in uh, Dudley. There was mm -hmm. a company called FCW that ran in Baggeridge, um, and the Hunters were like one of the mainstays there. So what are the, so from those shows, I believe you had guys, would Mad Mad, would Mad Man Max been on some of those shows? Mad Man Manson. Mad Man Manson. Yeah, so, yeah he was Man definitely Man. around. We would go to like 1PW and he would be on those shows as well um, at the Doncaster Dome back in the day. But he, yeah, he was always around and there was a couple of places in Birmingham um, that he was very, uh, pretty much a regular for. And the same with the Hunters and it just kind of grew and grew. But yeah, that's how we learned I think America has learned. I think the rest of the world as well. Like, obviously the UK is a hotbed for wrestling, but the West Midlands in particular, mm -hmm. the Midlands in general, has created some pretty big names in its time as well. People see um, Pete Dunne on a regular basis yeah. now, see you uh, with Butch, but so many, like Tyler Bate, you're Trent Seven, so you've got that whole family of, of wrestlers there. And the Midlands somehow has this star dust scattered through it. Why do you think the Midlands, more than anywhere else, has that? Um, I don't know. We've got Mastiff as well. Dave like, Mastiff, of course. Who is, again, just the knowledge that we learn from training with and being trained by on some occasions, Dave, was unreal. And uh, I was fortunate enough to wrestle him quite a few times um, back in the early days of Fight Club Pro. But, yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why the Midlands has just got this... This talent, it's just, it's there and it's always been there. And there's still, you know, the Hunters are still going, well, Lee is. Um, so there's still that that hotbed, as you say, but I, would, don't, I don't know why it's, don't know, I'm, not, I'm not sure. It's Who would you say from, from that neck of the woods is a, a bit of an unsung wrestling hero? Someone maybe that you've encountered along the road and gone, they they deserve more, more flowers. Ooh on the spot now <laughs> yeah. uh, Millie McKenzie as well who's done really yep. well from our neck of the woods and it's always lovely to see Millie doing doing more and Derice. more man like Derice lest we forget mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's Dan from, Maloney Dan Maloney it's, see, that's, it's something in the water in yeah the when you start dropping the names it yeah. goes on and on and on and on and on something in the water in the West Midlands yeah. and you love to see it you love to see it uh, when you were getting that training by the Hunter Brothers so you, you've, you've gone from like wrestling around the house wrestling in the garden and now you're going right we're ready to make a go of this and you're with the Hunter Brothers how did getting in there with them for that first day um, differ from what you thought it would be I realised that my brain doesn't work as quickly as I thought it did. Okay. With the whole tech side of everything, like the chain wrestling, I realised that 
some people's brains work a lot quicker than others because it was it was always something that I was I was quite nervous doing um, because I was just I would watch other people do it and they would just do it so easily and so fluently and I would just be like right okay but I need to go through it step by step by step to really make it work for me um, but that's something that I definitely realised very early on but it just but that confidence grew with each training session so um but yeah i just didn't realize how they work really close and tight with each other and stuff as well and like um i don't know what i'm going to talk about now you <laughs> know it's okay <laughs> you was yeah you you probably thought there was more of a, a closeness with them than there was mm. obviously because they're a tag team and you see yeah. them as a tag team and then when the you know the veil slips, and you actually see what what really goes on there. But the but the technical side of it's interesting because when you watch wrestlers putting their matches together, it's kind of like this. There's this sort of weird kinetic energy about how they do it, and I'm always fascinated by that. I mean, obviously, when you said you started, that first part was difficult for you. Um, is that something you still struggle with now? Is that something that you've always you, something you maybe given workarounds to? Yeah, to I've, get through. Yeah, I've kind of worked around it definitely. Um, I mean, I'll do it every now and then. Like, I don't necessarily think that the, the style that I do, I don't have to do that kind of no, style. It never lends itself. But I mean, you can throw it in every now. It's good to have it in the in your locker. I understand mm. that completely. Um, but then I'll watch people like Saber, and I'll be like, "What is he doing? I don't understand. <laughs> my, my eyes don't work quickly. My brain is like, what are you? What, how are you bending all these people that way? Do you know what I mean? But yeah, it's, it's definitely good to know, and it's good to learn, and I would recommend learning that um, to anybody. But for me, I see my style as more of a bit. Well, it's very brawly. <laughs> well, it's incredibly brawly because if you watch on the Patreon, you'll see uh, the North Wrestling Ultraviolet Championship in front of us here. Uh, one of many uh, similar belts that you have won, which sort of symbolise uh, that hardcore style, that deathmatch style. When did you realise, once you were training, that you were going to start leaning more into into that way of doing things? Um, I started seeing stuff like Combat Zone Wrestling. Um, I'd also seen the Cactus Jack Terry Funk No Road Barbed Wire match from Japan uh, on a tape. And that's when I was kind of like, yeah, I want to step this up a little bit. So we'll graduate from uh, tables to barbed wire. And then further on, we'll get to glass. And then we'll start bleeding everywhere. And yeah, uh, yeah, definitely a combat zone. Um, the old IWA Japan FMW videos. That was when I was like, yeah, this is definitely it now. Talk us through the sort of the mentality of that first time that you you went to an extreme in that way. So can you remember when your th your first death match was? If you can't, the power of the internet means that I can <laughs> your memory. I would say I remember the first time the first time I ever used barbed wire, which is kind of what I would say was my first death match. I think it was against Devon Moore for... I feel like I'm testing you. The here. Fight Club Pro Bound to Violence tournament. And it was a first-round match, and he was the CZW World Heavyweight Champion at that point. And that was the first time I did barbed wire. So I, that's what I would class as my 
first death match. And what a graduation to do it for CCW, mm. for a CCW title as well. Because to go from watching it to suddenly being there and being amongst it, mm. is, there any, is there like a pressure there? Because you're like, I watched this and I really want to do this style and here I am and I'm doing it. Yeah, I mean, there was. They'd brought a lot of people over as well because um, that was in a nightclub in Wolverhampton. Mm. That was in the planet upstairs. Rip those days. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, but there was a lot of people there from CZW, mm. like the promoter was there. Um, there was a lot of talent there that I'd watched on video and stuff. There was other talent from Europe. Um, WXW were there as well, and they were still doing death matches. So I really wanted to make like a good impression because I wanted to you know, network and didn't want people to think that I was just a complete straw who didn't know what he was <laughs> doing. But um... Was there really that fear still at that point? Because you've, you've been wrestling for a couple of years by that mm. point. When you had that, when you had that match, was there that fear that still maybe you were not maybe suffering a bit of imposter syndrome? I mean, I still suffer from it these days yeah. in in matches, yeah. And I don't think I'm alone. I don't think I'm alone when I say stuff like that. I think everyone has that kind of little bit of imposter syndrome sometimes, but it is something that I I still deal with. Um, but yeah, at, the, at that point, absolutely, I was just like, I just want people to take me seriously and. I don't want people to think that I'm just messing around and just doing it because I can't do the other stuff very well. Do you know what I mean? Do you, so, do you get that a lot? Is that a very popular misconception? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's so much discourse about how deathmatch wrestlers don't know how to wrestle. They don't know what they're doing. They're just doing this because they couldn't do the other stuff. And there's always this kind of, but yeah, that's Twitter for you, I guess. <laughs> Do you think in some cases have you obviously there's there's so many that that push the boundaries of that style and 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 hone it and craft it and are very proud of it and we see a lot of that in the UK as well as in the US. But do you think there is something to be said for there are people who maybe do that style to avoid doing the traditional way of yeah. wrestling shall we say? There was, there was not. I'm not no, saying no, put words in your no, mouth or, no, or I mean, spark a controversy. With everything, <laughs> there are there is a group or some people who will do it, and they will do it in a way that kind of helps these comments like that mm. come about. There are people who don't know how to do it properly. There are people who who shouldn't be anywhere near a ring or whatever they're doing it in. Um, but I feel like that's the same with every style of wrestling, to be honest. You can spot those kind of people a mile off. And that's why I just hate... I don't like the whole thing of just picking stuff up and throwing it, and then they throw it at you, and then that's it. It's You've got to tell me a story, do you know what I mean? Like That's the whole reason that I got into wrestling. The whole story, Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, there's a story there straight away. If you've never seen him wrestle before, that promo, bang. You sold. And even in that match, they go to use a weapon, but yep. don't. Yeah. <laughs> so and there's like, blood and there's the emotion and, and and so forth. But yeah, like with every style, there's there's always someone who's doing it and it's just a bit like, mm, A, I don't think I'd really want to get in the ring with you. B, you're not really doing us any favours by doing it the way you're doing it. C, you should probably just stop. <laughs> or learn how to do it properly. <laughs> there is, there's an art to doing it properly uh, because... To do it the way that you do it, it's it, there's such risk that comes with it because, you know, a, a light tube being smashed across your head, you can only really prep for so much of that. You can't prep for every shard of glass that's going to come off that fucker. Um, is there a moment that you have had in a death match where you've lay there and you've gone, all right, that's it, I'm done now. That's, career, that's game over now. 
Uh, I've I've gone too far. Hmm. I mean, there's been time. There's been moments of panic when yeah. I got thrown through a, a plug board by Chris Brooks, um, and it like came down like that, and plug got kind of just ripped my arm open and left that left that one. So I was looking at. A massive, I was going to ask you about your scars a in a big, minute. <laughs> a big gaping hole in my arm, and I just remember rolling over to Ricky Champagne and going like, "My arm! Look at my arm! Look at my arm!" And he was like, "It's okay. It's okay. You haven't got to do anything else. Just go to the hospital." Um, so that was probably like the last time where I was very like, this is a bit nuts, isn't it? Like, just doing this stuff. But then once that wears off, I'm like, yeah, I'm good to go again. You got the, yeah, yeah. you got the, you got the dog <laughs> in you again and away you go. But, but it's interesting stuff like that. When you, that's, it shows trust of being in there with the right people. And you've been in there uh, with, with incredible deathmatch wrestlers like uh, Ricky Shane Page, like Matt Tremont and people like that. Um, was there was those moments they are few and far between but it sounds like you're in there with the right people where something if something does go awry they're there to look after you and guide you through it oh yeah absolutely like there's there's some people who you you, you see you you're going to be in a match with them and you're like okay i know that if anything was to ever happen or go wrong i know that these guys are going to look after me i know that this person will take care of me and we can work around it and get to where we need to get to in the match so I you you see that and you're like okay they these are definitely the people that are like they know exactly what they're doing when you've been speaking to people backstage that maybe you're not sure about or maybe you are has there been something that has been pitched to you for a match that you've gone ah no um <clears throat> or are you just like ah whatever we'll 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 call, we'll do it out there. We'll go for it. I mean, weapons wise, or like, or like bump wise, or spot wise, there's not really much that I've kind of like said no to. I can't think of anything that's really stood out. Um, it's always kind of been like, oh, well, if it's if it's almost been like a comedic kind of spot because that's not really the stuff that I do. Like, I mean, I've done matches where there's been elements of comedy in it and stuff. But if we're having like a serious match, and it's just like oh, we'll just chuck in this little bit of comedy, does it really work? Does it really fit? I'd rather we just kind of just brushed over it and not really gone for it because it doesn't need to be in the match. It doesn't I don't feel like it's part of the match. So it's normally just little things like that. But apart from like as far as weapons go, there's nothing that I've really said no to. Yet. Okay. <laughs> well, there's, there's room there for somebody to push mm. your boundaries a little bit. Can we talk about scars and stuff? Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> because, and, and, and I say it because uh, Clint uh, is, a, is a very handsome gentleman. Oh, thank you. You are. <laughs> but I couldn't help but notice the bump on your head <laughs> yeah. as you arrived here today. Uh-huh. Can you tell us the story? Um, I think this has just built up just over time. I don't really, I can't really think of one. Sp- I've never noticed it before. One specific thing that's made it happen. And do you know what? I don't think it was very noticeable. And mm. it, it seems to me that ever since we came back after the pandemic, everyone has noticed it. <laughs> but it was, de- it was definitely there before that. It's been, it's been there for a while. But everyone has noticed it. And I'll be standing in, like, underneath a light and then the shadow will be, like, really... will make it pop out. And people are like, oh, my God, are you okay? What's that? Oh. Like, it's just... It's, a, it's just... A, a, a it, lump. Is it a build? Is it from like? Is it? Is it something um, biology based? It's not 
wrestling based? Or I it think just... it's come from getting stapled. Yeah. I think it's come from getting stapled in the head. Because I've got another <laughs> tiny little one here, which is oh, where yeah. another place where I'll get stapled kind of every now and then. Do you do you tend to? Because I, I don't want to get too inside baseball, but I just quite enjoy the the, the going into the weeds a bit on, on putting together. Because so, always wild death matches always look like they're wild and untamed. But I imagine there is some control and order hmm. to that chaos. Yes. There has to be. <laughs> One must have order in my chaos. So you have a little bit there, which you've pointed out. And I hadn't seen it until you pointed it out. So would you always say, okay, if we're doing staples, staple there? Um... I've never really liked. I realised I did that, and it looked like a knobhead, <laughs> a knobhead motion, and it wasn't. It was a staple motion. Um, I've never really mentioned it unless they have already seen it and thought I'll stay away from that. But I did actually have a go. I did actually go and have it checked out um, about three, three or four weeks ago. Yeah, because I was getting a little bit weird about it because loads of people were noticing it, and I was just like, it's been there for ages, and it's just got bigger or whatever. But the doctor said that it's just it's it's just a it's just a soft can tissue. They, can they lance it and and will goo come out like um, a pimple popper type deal? They or? Probably could, but he said if you want <laughs> anything like that, you're talking about going private, which right. obviously yeah, money talks and and uh, as much as I love wrestling, it doesn't pay as well as we all want it to sometimes. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just kind of he said if it ever starts hurting, then come back. But at the moment, it's just. Just a lump. It's I'm just dealing is. with it. Yeah, <laughs> you've got. Um, I've, I've spotted this as well, just near your your tattoo. Uh-huh. Um, a, a scar all across there. Is there a story yeah. behind that one? Um, that I'm probably... really excited to find one. And you just go. Ah, oh, I just scratched it on the face. <laughs> Getting well, fetching the cat. Uh, well, yeah, cat uh, did it. Some of them will be from the cat. Bone uh, did it. Shout out, bone. But um, <laughs> that I think that is from the first death house match which was drew parker's first ever death match because i remember us taking the picture like this and i remember seeing the massive cut so that will either be from a light tube or carpet strips oh which incidentally is probably my favorite death match weapon a carpet i was yeah. that was i was gonna come to your favorite weapons yeah. why is why is carpet strip beat out your common or garden light tube or board of nails. Um, I think it's just one of those that everyone kind of can relate to. Yeah. Remember, kid, remember <laughs> being a kid running up the stairs, or as an adult, running up the stairs, you're late for work, you've only got one sock on, <laughs> you step too far onto the step, catch your big toe on a car- bit of carpet grip, or you're walking through your house and you catch it. So it's one of those ones that people can be like, yeah, that hurts. We all know that hurts. Like like Lego or colourful... Or a plug. Or colourful building blocks, as Vader Scott... <laughs> as Vader Scott pointed del- out, yeah. Politely called it. Yeah, or to- a plug. Yes, treading on a plug. We've all done that. Um, it does weirdly loop back to how you want to tell stories hmm. and relatable stories in death matches. And a carpet strip does that. It tells a very relatable <laughs> story. Um, do you have a, a, a scar or a cut on your body from a death match that maybe we can't see that... You always remember where it came from. I don't actually, because the, no? the the one from Drew Parker, I think, is is as we'll get to, wonderfully timed. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. But otherwise, you've been you've you've got away relatively scot free. Um, yeah, I mean, I wear a t shirt, which you know does protect you very slightly. Mm. Um, you know, it is just a bit of thin material. But I've always been. I've never really had like the physique. I don't feel. 
to wrestle without a top on. It's, I've always been very self-conscious about it, to be honest. Um, I don't mind having my arms out and they can get cut up to whatever, but I've always been really funny about walking around with the tops off and stuff like that. I've always been very... Um, it's not really for me. Is that a, is, Does that come back to a bit of the um, imposter syndrome, self-esteem type? Mm, probably, thing. a little bit, yeah. Yeah, probably. But, I mean, there's been times where, like, my top's been ripped off during a match. Mm. There's only been two of those occasions, thankfully. <laughs> and uh, They're not very well documented, so don't worry about it. You won't oh, see it anyway. I was going to go find them <laughs> now. I was in no, One of them is on YouTube. Yeah. And I've got pictures of the other one, so that's about it. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, as far as, like, my like my main body, there's I've got some on my back because, obviously, glass cuts through T-shirt material and stuff and barbed wire rips you through and but i haven't really got anything that's really bad just my arms really yeah we've mentioned your best weapon which is the which is the carpet strips um what's your worst like one it, it, now this this probably falls into two categories i was thinking one which is like the worst is in like oh it's just a bit of a rubbish weapon and one which is like i hate taking this it makes me sad um <laughs> Do you know what I always, whenever I take one of these in a match, I always think these hurt so much more than we make to believe. Chair shots to the back. See, it's funny because there were wrestlers are sort of told to do that now rather than mm. the head because it's safer, but they still hurt like buggery. But when, you, when you've, you know, you've took like the gut shot mm. and then you're on, when you're on all fours, those chair shots to the back <laughs> hurt, to me, hurt more than any glass or barbed wire or stupid other thing that I've done that that's when I'm just like wow I just really need to stop taking these these hurt these hurt real bad I like that of all the weapons it wasn't like a board of, of broken light bulbs it wasn't barbed wire baseball bats it was oh just chairs yeah chair shots just, to the just, back just your common or garden oh. chair to your common or garden back <laughs> um, as we said at the start of the interview uh, you're West Midlands boy that now finds yourself in the northeast. what brought you up here a girl. Oh, it's always a girl, isn't it? And she wasn't even from Newcastle, or she isn't from Newcastle, <laughs> I should say. Uh, yes, uh, my girlfriend, which obviously some people will know, uh, Deathmatch Cutie. What? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um, How did you guys meet? We started speaking online um, just before the vid. Oh, okay. Um, and we just carried on talking, and she was living in Hull at the time. Uh, she's originally from Bradford, um, and she was working in like a little like Grebo rocker shop in Hull, and they opened one up here and asked her if she wanted to be the store manager for it. So she moved, and I followed, and we'd already been um, officially together for a few months before that. Um, I was just like getting the train to like Hull because I was I was doing a job where it was like four on four off at the time. So right. I would do my job for four days and then go halt for four days, come back, rinse, repeat. And you know when someone's special where you voluntarily agree to spend four days working and then four days in Hull? Mm. It's not that bad, you know, Hull. I think that's their slogan. <laughs> Plus it meant that Hull. I could... It's not that bad, you know. Plus it meant I could come up with the funny things like, oh, see you in Hull. Yeah, that's easy, but... To Hull and back. See you in only, Hull. Only falls and horses. <laughs> yeah. Um, how has how has uh, Gabby made you a better person? Ooh. She makes me do the things that I will second guess over and over and over again. 
But if I wasn't with her, there's a lot of things that I've, that I've done where, if, like I say, if, I was, if we weren't together, I probably wouldn't have done them. Like, there's been times where I've turned stuff down pre-relationship uh, where I've been like, oh, no, I can't, I can't do this booking because of work or I can't do this trip because of work. But she has made me realise that, you know, it's important to, like, have a job and stuff, but if you love something, the, the, the amount that you do, then just go and do it and then every, there's always going to be another opportunity for, like, work and stuff, but the wrestling is what you love to do. So she has really, like, made me realise that just because you quit a job to go and do something else, there's something that other people would be like, oh, can't believe you're quitting your job to go and do that. She's made me realise that my passion comes first. And uh, without her, there's a lot of stuff that I said, like I say, that I probably wouldn't have done. So you, so you, you quit uh, a job to pursue wrestling even further. So this is the four days on, four days off job, and you went... Can you remember the day that you handed in your notice? Uh, yeah, it was like September. I just nonchalant kind of just walked up and went, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, there's stuff that I want to do and this isn't really working. I can't get the time off. It's not very, um, what's the word? Not very accommodating, accommodating for my other interests. And uh, yeah, like I say, without her, I wouldn't never have done that. Were they all right with it? Or did they try and keep you? Was there any... You was like, this doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. Let's <laughs> deal with it, it's okay. Yeah, it? it's just, it is what it is. I've made my mind up. That's my decision. And they always, you always feel like it's going to go one or two ways when you quit a job, don't you? They're always going to, like, try and make you stay or they're just going to be like, all right, then. There's part of you that See you later. kind of wants... <laughs> you want them to make you stay a little bit. Is that weird? Because yeah, you still want to yeah. turn it down. Yeah. But you're like... Just you know, five me a little bit. Yeah, because <laughs> when you go in and because when you go in and then they're like, "Oh, okay, then thanks." You just kind of like, oh, "Did you even really give a shit that I was here in the first place? Like, then, why did then, I? Why did I get up at six o'clock yeah. in the morning?" And, and you think of all the things you got. I could have gone and done that. I could yeah. have gone and done that. But yeah, yeah, I get. But you didn't, and so now you've thrown yourself uh, headfirst into uh, the, the the wrestling world. What change? What's changed about the mentality? Since going all in, somewhat wrestling pun. <laughs> um, I just wanted to just take it way more seriously than than uh, than I was. Not to be all like walking into locker rooms and being like, "This is serious. This is wrestling." Mm-hmm. Like, I still want to have fun. Like, I still want. Uh, I still want to go into changing rooms and like have a laugh with people and like be excited. And that's what I try and do every time I go to a show. Now I try to be that person. that's like watching other people's matches and like stuff and being like oh that was so sick and like hyping up when they come back through um so i just took it a bit more seriously and i've taken like my health and fitness a lot a lot more seriously um over the last like year or so um like i've dropped a little bit away because i just i love dominoes but i can't <laughs> eat dominoes every weekend you know what i mean you can but you it, can it, it doesn't yeah. go that well but uh yeah, so I've just started taking everything just with a bit more, okay, well, I want to make sure I look good. I want to make sure that I feel good. And people have started noticing, like, Will Cruz was very complimentary to me after a, a TNT show. Um, noticed that I dropped a little bit of weight, saying how well I was moving around the ring. Rory is another one who's kind of, like, checked in with me 
every now and then and just been like, how's this going? How's that going? And he's he's always noticed and he's he's dropped a little bit of weight as well and I can see that in his in his wrestling. But yeah, so I've just thought if I'm gonna like do this, you know, more often and, and more full time, quote unquote, but I've just gotta knuckle down and you know, make myself look the part a little bit more. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And you've thrown yourself into uh, all the aspects of it, including some big matches on the horizon for you. Um, the man that gave you that scar in his first death match, uh, Drew Parker, you're going to be competing in his last. Mm. How did that come about? Um, he dropped me a message, um, just before he moved back from Japan, uh, saying that he'd done his last ever death match in the US against John Wayne Murdoch. He had his last ever death match in Japan, uh, in a tag match against Kasai and Takeda. And he never got his last UK death match, like advertised. Uh, and obviously we've been through a lot together um, from his first ever one even before that we would do, we'd do like hardcore matches and stuff together but never never death match until his first ever one um, and for it to end or for him to choose to end it with me is just a very full circle moment for the both of us I think uh, it's definitely going to be emotional I guarantee that someone's going to cry <laughs> probably me Andrew um 
But yeah, I'm I'm very excited for it. It's a very, very big moment for both of us. Um, and I'm glad that we can do it at somewhere like TNT who have been very accommodating to me since I started wrestling there. And Drew had done some matches for them as well before he left for Japan. Um, so it does mean a lot that we can do it in Liverpool at TNT. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. Now, by the time you hear this, the, the match will have happened at TNT. Uh, August the 19th it's mm -hmm. happening um, looking back on the time that you spent with obviously Drew Parker went and uh, and did great things abroad and he's finishing up his, de his, his death match career here um, what's a moment that you two have shared away from the ring that you always think about and makes you smile well f for a while um, Drew was in between places to stay um, and at this point I'd just bought a house and Drew actually, like, I moved him in because he didn't have anywhere to stay. So I moved him in and he lived with me for a, uh, a while. Um, he had a nice, big, spacious room. I was a lovely host. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, some people know that, some people don't. But, yeah, um, so we had a lot of time together, a lot of nights talking about wrestling. And back when I was drinking, we'd go down the pub and talk about wrestling and, and everything and watch wrestling together. So, yeah, uh, that's like a, a quite a big part of our history together. Is it one of those things where now that you're full-time, just to kind of branch off onto that, because you, you talk about, you know, with you and Drew living together, you talked a lot about wrestling. I know that Gabby's um, a massive part of the North wrestling scene as well, and we're very grateful to have her as a uh, part of North too. But when suddenly the hobby becomes the work and the work becomes the hobby, mm. like how do you, what do you do to break away from that? Do you have like something that you do that isn't wrestling? Uh, yeah, I, well, I mean, I don't play. I've, I've used to play bass um, sometimes every now and then back mm. in the day, but music is like a massive part of my life as well. Uh, going to gigs, love going to gigs. So that's kind of like my... If I'm doing this, then I'm not thinking or talking about wrestling, in not in a bad way, but it's just you've got to have no, that little. Something. You've got to have that little break. So yeah, so like music, collecting vinyl, that kind of stuff, go to gigs, um, binge watching stuff. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we. But I mean, me and Gabby do talk about wrestling a lot, which is understandable. Um, we're both super into it, obviously. Um, but yeah. We're both really into like gigs and music and stuff, so that's kind of our away from wrestling stuff. What gigs have you got coming up? Hmm. Uh, Funeral for a Friend, uh, oh. Finch, The Used have obviously just announced their December tour. So by the time this comes out, I will have got tickets. <laughs> You'll have spent the Australian yeah. money yeah. on tickets. Because they are my favourite, favourite <laughs> band of all time ever. Obviously, I use them as my entrance music. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, yes, uh... We've got Bring Me The Horizon coming up next year. Um, yeah, just, just when they pop up, quite a few. Yeah, Some decent things on mm. the horizon. That's good, that. Mm. As well as picking three matches, I also like to... This is just throw this at you. You're not in any trouble. Um, mm. I like to also ask you to choose as well as three wrestling matches, a movie, an album, and a luxury item to take with you. Okay. So in terms of the luxury item, it can be uh, a bit of tech. It could be something with some sentimental value. Um, it can be anything like that. So it's a very broad uh, one. But Lee, you can think on that whilst you tell me what your movie would be. Hmm. One movie that you can take with you that stays with you. So I'm trying to think. It's like, do I pick my favourite film of all time? Or do I pick one that 
I've know that I've watched more times than my favourite film of all time. I just hmm. see it's between Fight Club and True Romance. That is a beautiful mixture. Yeah. As much as I love Fight Club, I would probably say it is my favourite film of all time. I think I've definitely watched True Romance more than more times than I've seen Fight Club. Oh. So I would take True Romance because it's a bit of a comfort. It's one that you just put on and just have on in the background. Yeah, and just reset, the cast yeah. is brilliant. Uh, the the music is brilliant, which is obviously the theme song from Badlands. If you want to go deep into where Tarantino got his influences oh, from and stuff like that, but definitely, um, yeah, the cast is brilliant. The script's brilliant. Everything about it is just class. It's so good. What a brilliant film. As a gig man um, and a music man, you've got to pick one album. You can have it on vinyl if you like. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it on vinyl. Um, it's probably going to be the used debut album. Okay. Why, why does that one get the nod over others? Is... I just think of where I was, like, when I first ever heard the used. Like, I was kind of... I'd become like a bit of an indie kid. Mm. So I was huge into Oasis back in the day. And like my music taste was changing. And when I first heard the use, I was like, yeah, like this, that, I'm, I'm an emo kid <laughs> from now on <laughs> until the day that I die. Where, um, where were you when you first heard it? I was sitting in the living room at my mum's house. And I remember it was, we were watching, uh, it was like an Osborne's. Jack and Kelly Osborne were doing like a music oh, they... video countdown, and it was in like oh, gosh. October, November of two thousand and two. The album had come out in June two thousand and two. Did, did they do it on Scuzz or Kerrang? It was it one was, of them. It was one of those, or it was actually on MTV because obviously Osborne's was massive oh, as it well. Oh, would have been on MTV, wouldn't it? Yeah. And I remember they were doing a, they were doing like they were each picking a band that like weren't very well known, and that was one of the picks. It was the taste of ink, and as oh, soon as I heard those first couple of lines, that four o'clock in the fucking morning, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, these guys." And then I've just immersed myself in every single thing that they've done. But that debut album, hands down, one of the best debut albums by any band ever. Amazing. How about a luxury item then? What you got for us? Hmm. I think I'm just gonna have to be pretty. Can I take my phone? I think I probably just would take a phone. Yeah, you could take your phone. Why not? So then I can at least text <laughs> and like get some pictures of my cat. Oh and yeah, Gabby. You, yeah, that's so. it. You can't. You, yeah, <laughs> I like how cat got mentioned first. Yeah, well, that's the rules. It's okay. <laughs> As a black cat dad myself, I get it. Gabby would always mention the cat before me. One hundred percent. What's the story behind Bone, by the way? Um, we when we first moved into that first place up here, we were just kind of like, oh. Well, first of all, Gabby is cat obsessed. Mm. Absolutely adores cats and has had a cat in every house, in every city that she's ever lived in. Um, so once we moved up here, she was like, we've got to get a cat. We have to get a cat. And I was like, okay, well, my mum's had cats before. That's fine. I, I'm I'm okay. I'm easy. Cat or dog, whatever. And then literally we got her from like eight weeks old and just we both just melted <laughs> fell in love with her as soon as she came out of the little carrier with a little squeak um yeah um and we were just trying to think of something spooky and cool to name her so we just came up with bone and she's brilliant is there i as much as i as cats are brilliant as uh, my boy pablo uh, is great 
he can be a dickhead, hmm. right? I think that's inherent in especially black cats. They have this dickhead streak. Hmm. Uh, he will, if I feed him in the morning and then I'll go to work, I'll get a, sometimes get a picture from Alex of him sat there next to his empty cat bowl going, Mother, <laughs> as you can see, it is empty and I die. And she's like, did you feed him? Yes, I fed him. Okay, well, he's just being a bullshitter there. Like, <laughs> is there something that Bone does that's quite dickheadish? Um, well, she was a very indoor cat because we were living in a flat, mm. um, like a little, like a house that had been converted into two flats. So we were on the ground floor. Oh, thank God we're out of there now. Um, but we didn't really have much of. In fact, we had no garden. It was just a concrete little yard. Um, so we were always like, well, she's never going outside, staying indoors. And then we moved to a, like, a house and we've got a garden now and everything. So once we'd settled, we started letting her out the back and stuff. But she's got a tendency to to disappear but she only she'll, she'll stay in the confines of the garden but because they're in quite dark spaces and because she is 100 percent, there's no specks of white on her or little white paws or anything like that it's very hard to find her sometimes but now she's got like a cute little like pink leopard print collar oh. so she's a bit more bit more noticeable but yeah she will hide she'll, she'll hear you calling her and she'll go i'm just gonna hide. <laughs> yeah <laughs> she started to like learn how to get behind the back of the shed now oh little pricks <laughs> i discovered from when pablo got out the one day um i spent hours looking for him in the woods mm. next to our house rummaging through nettles and all this only to find that he'd camped out at the hedge next to the front door <laughs> <laughs> and saw all this hullabaloo of people looking for him and just went, oh, this is fun. <laughs> Prick. Never been so happy and so angry at the same time. Yeah. I'll do that to you. So I'm glad that Bone's giving you the same grief. <laughs> when, when she goes missing, it always seems to be when I'm the one who's let her out. Mm. Um, and I'll panic and I'll get anxiety about it. And I'm like, oh my God, of course it would be the time that I let her out that I can't find her. And then I'm... Like literally sticking my head through bushes and stuff, trying to find her, and then she'll literally just walk out the back of the shed, like, and I'll turn around and she'll just be sat there, like, what's the matter? What's, what's your problem? What are you doing? Where's the treats? Well, that's it. <laughs> this is the thing. Well, the first they when they get out, they apparently indoor cats only go as far as a fifty mile radius. Oh, okay. Uh, this is what I learned after. Right. After okay. Me and, and Adam Pachiti had been out looking for the bugger. Um, <laughs> But they only go within 50, 50 meters of where oh. they live. So if if if, he, if if she ever gets out, she's probably only gone like just the other side of the gate somewhere. Right. But you 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 have dreamies, right? The dreamy shake, the bag shake. Hmm. It's weird. It's hypnotic. Yeah. Like if I can't find him in the in in our home somewhere, I will stand in the kitchen and just shake a bag of dreamies. Within twenty five seconds. Oh hi, <laughs> there you are. Oh, I will be doing this now, are we? Okay, yeah, cool. So, so, yeah, so cool. stand, if, if in doubt, stand in the middle of the garden, shake the dreamies. Yeah. Guarantee. <laughs> Within seconds, we'll go. Or the, oh. the foil of the the food packet as oh, well. Oh, that's it. They'll, that's, let's do that. crinkle. Yes, yeah. here I am. Hello. <laughs> Your third and final match, sir. So we've had some bangers so far. We've had uh, Mike Awesome, Masato Tanaka getting getting love, Bret Hart and Roddy Piper. What's your third and final one going to be, sir? Uh, my favourite and my personal opinion, the best cage of death uh, from CZW, uh, Sammy Gallahan versus Danny Havoc, uh, cage of death 11. Now those are two names from CZW Law. Um, where would you where would you have been when you first saw that one? Um, probably sitting in front of the computer, f finding it on the internet somewhere. I imagine. So, oh, this would have been um, what year was this? 
2009 right. is when it happened. So there would have been some access, but not the access that we certainly have now. Mm, not uh, at all. Like you could just half you could half type it in, and it's got every instance yeah. for you. There's a bit of digging going on there. But uh, is there a moment from that match that you still think about? Is there something um, from that match that makes you that that makes it the best match? The I mean, the final bump is legendary. Uh, and it actually caused Sammy to get sliced pretty much from like in between his shoulder blades, like all the way up the back of his neck. And there's the on the the replays, you'll see like a little backstage shot, and there's a cut that's like that wide, I think. Jeez. Probably about that long, which is pretty gnarly. Um, just the, but again, it was the blow off of a massive storyline that they were doing, which involved kidnapping people and causing riots in the ECW arena. Like, there was a bit where Sammy kind of, like, threatened to cut his wrist because they were part of this thing because they were part of this thing called the Switchblade Conspiracy, yeah. him and John Moxley. And Sammy got through the crowd and, like, people thought he was being serious and it led to, like, a pretty much riot in the ECW arena. Um, but, yeah, everything about it was, uh, was amazing. Um, and Danny Havoc... I don't know what else I can say about him that I haven't already said. Um, my opinion, best US deathmatch wrestler of all time. Um, gone way too soon. Um, and I'll always thank, always be thankful for the time that I got to spend with him. And uh, he was very um, important in me actually going over to do TOD. Him and Ricky Shane Page really went to bat for me. Um, for that so yeah but the match if you haven't seen it please go and watch it if you love deathmatch wrestling and you haven't seen it then how you haven't seen it if you love deathmatch wrestling <laughs> I don't know but it's amazing they just kill each other and it's so good is there something that Danny Havoc told you uh, during your time together that stays with you something in particular <sighs> nothing in particular I always just think of how he was with people from like the moment he met them like the from the very first moment that i met him i felt like i was his best friend and that's something that i've kind of like tried to carry with me and i always want to make people feel comfortable and if we've never met and if we're having a match together or not or if you're in this style i want you to like know that there are good people involved and you know we can be mates and stuff and that's kind of like i say something that i've always just carried with me from the moment i met him I just noticed how nice he was and he didn't need to be and i always get worried because i obviously knew of him before i met him and you always have that thing like oh, this guy's not a dickhead mm. what if he's like just straws me off and he's just like yeah whatever but he wasn't he was everything that i kind of wanted him to be and that never changed and uh yeah. I always find when you meet your heroes like that, that it inspires you to go, I want to be, I, I never want to, I never want to make anybody feel the way I thought they would make me feel. Mm. You know what I mean? Obviously he didn't, but like it, it's, you strive then to go, I want to be like that now. Whenever anybody new comes across, I want to make them feel as welcome as Danny Havoc made me feel. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that is among many things, that's Danny's legacy. And I think that's really nice. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Just like I say, I will never, never not think like that now when someone new comes along. I want to be, I want them to be like, oh, Clint was cool. Like he wasn't a dickhead or anything. 
in if I've ever come across that way, I apologise, but <laughs> never my intention. But um, yeah, it is something like I say that stuck with me, and, and Sammy as well. From the moment we first met, um, we were like one of the first people in the UK that ever brought him over and stuff uh, back at Fight Club Pro, and again, just really, it's really nice to all of us, and we just tried to get on and just be mates and treat people how we want to be treated. Is, you've, you've worked with so many of your deathmatch wrestling heroes over the years. Is there is there one that really, obviously Danny Havoc does and, and Sammy Callahan does, but is there one that you would still really love to work with that you haven't had a chance yet? It's a nice um, opportunity here to maybe put this out, manifest yeah, destiny. Yeah. I'm a big believer in manifest. Yeah. Um, Here's a great platform to manifest. I mean, I would love the opportunity, relish the opportunity to have a match with Nick Gage before he stops, because it's Nick Gage. Yeah. What well, I don't know what else I could say. To be in the ring with Nick Gage would be a dream come true for me. And like I say, before he, whenever he's going to hang him up, I don't know when that's going to happen. Seems like it's a million miles away, to be honest. Um, but yeah, a one-on-one -on -one with Nick Gage, dream. I would love that. Manifested. Yeah. Manifest that destiny. Um, the destiny before you is Australia. By the time you're hearing this, you are... I don't want to say you're in Australia, because I've done that flight, and it is fucking horrible. <laughs> so you might still be on the way. Yeah, I might be either asleep, reading a book, or... Buying Wi-Fi. Regretting all decisions about traveling to Australia because <laughs> Australia's gorgeous. It's such a long way. Where did you stop on the way? We stopped at Abu Dhabi <sighs> for about for what felt like 20 minutes and it was straight back on a really? nine-hour flight. I was like, oh, my God. I've got Kuala Lumpur. Ooh. I'm quite excited, to be honest. Glad. I want to see the Malaysian delicacies. You will see the Malaysian check-in. <laughs> I don't cool. know if you'll have much time to see other things. Mm. But maybe, hey, look, if you, how long is your layover? Four hours. Oh, you'll have plenty of time then. That's great. I I was thinking about like really like poshing it up and like going to get a massage or something or Ooh, like taking taking yeah. some change of clothes in my carry on and having like a shower or something in between. Honestly, you're on it's 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 your holiday. Mm. You might as well you know enjoy every every second of it. It's a it's it's a busman's holiday <laughs> as we were cool over here. <laughs> it's a busman's holiday. Um, We've got Deathmatch Down Under, uh, Saturday the 2nd of September. Yes, uh, one of numerous dates that you've got in Australia. Uh huh. You got a busy schedule? Uh, yeah, we've got a few going on. Uh, so I land in Melbourne on the 24th, and then we will fly to Perth on the 25th, uh, and that is where I will be defending the North Ultraviolet Championship at Dude Where's My Ring, which is such it's a, a cool brilliant name. name. So no rope, no uh, just the canvas, none of that. Nope. Just a floor with some weapons and some people who are going to be drinking and having a great time. The last time I had a, I heard a show like that, um, and I hope Danny O'Doherty doesn't mind me saying it, was when Rise put on a show and there was a logistical error and they didn't have a ring. <laughs> so they just went, right, no ring! We've done a no ring show! Is that when they did the no ring rumble? Yeah. <laughs> How did people get eliminated from that? I can't remember. They just left with the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too sure. Maybe we'll draw a line and they'll go. I don't remember that. I don't remember how they got eliminated, but they definitely had a no ring yeah. show. And it was. I was in Leeds, I think, wasn't it? It was in Leeds. Yeah. I, feel like I, don't, I hope I'm not exposing the business if I said it was a logistical error. <laughs> 
you might let you, to a no, it's, it's classic Brit rest. You know, you got to roll with the punches. That's it. It's the, ingenuity that I, it's the ingenuity that I love. <laughs> no ring show. It's fantastic. But dude, where's my ring? Literally, just that's their that's their remit. They save a bunch on money for the show, and they have a different proposition. Exactly. Incredible. And it leads people to be a little bit more creative in what they do. I don't know if you saw that clip of. Uh, someone who wrestled there giving uh, their opponent like a spinning head scissors whilst they were stuck to a chair. <laughs> and it's sick. It's so sick. It should go viral. I bet Everyone the creativity in your brain thinking about, dude, where's my ring? Mm. Are you, I bet you've got ideas already. There's a couple of, uh, couple of things bouncing around, which you might have seen by now. If, when this comes out, I don't know. You might have done. You might have done. <laughs> so you got in Perth for Dude Where's My Ring. Mm-hmm. Is it Deathmatch Down Under from there, or have I missed a couple of dates in there? Uh, down, no, right? so it's Dude Where's My Ring against uh, James Hartness is the guy who's going to be challenging me for this belt. Um, then... This makes it a world title, though. I believe so. That's the rust. That, is the, that so. is the kayfabe wrestling rule. Mm-hmm. If it's defended in international waters, it becomes a world title. Therefore, the North Ultraviolet Championship <laughs> becomes a world title before the world title does. <laughs> that's not, no, no shade on Leon's why, did Leon, why didn't he take it in his bag? He should have taken the GCW. He's over there now. He He's got a homecoming weekend coming up. He should have taken a GC dub with him. Honestly. I mean, fair play. He is sick. Like, you know, you know, he's phenomenal. <laughs> he's, he's great, but, he, but you're going to make that world title, more mm. importantly. <laughs> that's exciting. So, do where's my ring? Uh, then, got a little bit of a break. There might be some other th- stuff that I might pick up along the way. Um, Are you kind of putting yourself out there into the wrestling circuit of Australia and going, hey, I'm here? Yeah. How, like, somewhat how Amir Jordan has done with Canada. Because hmm. Amir Jordan went over and he went, I'm here. Who's around? Yeah, Who I mean, people know that I'm coming. Um, Joel, who runs Deathmatch Down Under, has, uh, has put my name out there. So, there might be some stuff that just pops up along the way. Mm. to get to um, Deathmatch Down Under. Uh, if it does, great, obviously. I, I, I want to wrestle as much as possible. If it doesn't, I'm going to a country that I've never been to before yeah. and there's stuff that I'm aware of in Melbourne that I want to like see and go to and stuff like that. So it's all part of the journey, you know. Is there something in particular that you're you're buzzing to do while you're over there that isn't wrestling? Yes. I really really want to go to Paran Skate Park. Right. Which is, I've been told, 40 minutes away from where Joel lives um, because there's a skate film called All This Mayhem okay. that came out a few years ago and it's about Ben and Tass Pappas who were these two skateboarding prodigies from Australia. Nice. Uh, and that is where they kind of got noticed. That's where they started. So you're going to go and... Skate there. For oh, I'm not going to go and skate. Have a go no, I can't. I can't stand up. My balance is awful. <laughs> My balance is awful on a skateboard. Gabby gets you to do things <laughs> that you can't bring yourself to do. So I, Gabby should get you doing an indie nose bone. I, I can't go to a skate park with that much history. If Tony Hawk <laughs> can do it at 65, you'll be fine. <laughs> I'll break something and then I won't be able to defend this. That is true. That is true. <laughs> but um. Yeah, so I want to go and visit that and, and just go and like see the ramp that they skated and everything and kind of like take it all in. Because again, that, that's another film that I've watched over and over and over again. It's a very, very sad story, mm. but it's got a happy ending in a way. Um, but yeah, it's just, and their like philosophy 
kind of like came through to me as well. Like they were just, this is what we love to do. Let's just go balls to the wall. Let's barns it, as they say. Um, and then I, I was watching that. I was just like, yeah, deathmatch wrestling. This is what I love. Let's just barns it and go balls to the wall with it and just really, you know, show my passion for it. So their mentality kind of like came through. But um yeah, I really want to go to Paran Skate Park, and I will go. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you uh, barns it <laughs> in Australia. If uh, you are listening to this on the podcast feed or on the Patreon, look in the description. You'll see all the dates where Clint's wrestling, and a little email if you want to pop up and say hello. Yes. We'll do that. So, yeah. so you can get out there if you're out there. Yes. i like to end on this one. It's a little bit deep, but uh, it's, it, it can lead to some opening of eyes. It's, say we have the chance to go back, and we can take you back and see yourself at his younger age, and as you are suplexing your brother onto the broken slats of your mum's bed, <laughs> you can impart your younger self with a little bit of wisdom to take forward in their life. What would you tell them? Don't second guess every little thing. If you want to do something, do it. Just don't talk yourself out of it. That is probably the best thing that I would love to tell my younger self. Because yeah. like I say, like I've said earlier, there's been opportunities that I've not taken, which could have led to other things. Um, which I, I know I, I try not to dwell on stuff because everything happens for a reason, I guess. But there's been other times where I've just been like, I, I should have done that. Because if I'd have done that, who knows what would have been different. So yeah, never second guess. If you want to do something, just go and do it. I thought you might have said chair shots to the back, but that's probably better. <laughs> and don't take any chair shots to the back. <laughs> Clint took, Mar- took my breath away with that one. <laughs> Clint Margera, go Barnes it in Oz, fella. Thank you very go much, Barnes it. Cheers, dude. <laughs>For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.